This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. LGBTIQ spoken word events from Australia and from around the world. I'm Dean and this is The Cheap Seats, podcast edition. Thanks for joining me. In this podcast, we are in the United States for a panel discussion that explores the treatment and representation of LGBT athletes, sporting identities and celebrities in mainstream media, including the issues associated with coming out in the public eye. This panel was part of the conference hosted in late 2013 by the Institute of Sports, Media and Society at the University of Southern California. The panel is moderated by Shana Naomi Kruckmal and our panellists include Howard Bragman, a public relations practitioner who has looked after a number of LGBT celebrities and sports clients, John Branch, who's a sports reporter for the New York Times, and Kate Fagan, a writer and former basketball player. So join me as we grab our seats and listen to the conversation from the cheap seats on Joy 94.9. So here we are to talk about, uh, you know, I think Adam has done a great job of covering this sort of entertainment world. I love that now if you are a gay teenager on television, you get to have a lot of making out. I think that's awesome. We're all in favor of that. Um, and, and, you know, I think the folks we have represented here are are part of a larger conversation that we're having in sort of mainstream news um, and culture and talking about, about sports. And I would like, I think, to sort of start by talking about where, like, what is the state of LGBT representation in media right now? Because I think uh, in some ways we've made a lot of progress, in some ways we haven't. And I found a quote from, from John that I want to read from a news analysis piece that you did because I thought it really captured this. He said, finding meaning in the big picture is easy, it's progress, and it's moving fast. But if you insist on finding that singular moment, that Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier moment, this cause is not for you. Do you want to sort of, is that how you still feel? Do yeah. You feel, no, it, it is still now? how I, I still feel that way. Um, you know, and, and we'll talk about Sochi, I'm sure, as this goes along. I I don't know exactly how this is all going to continue to unfold in terms of number of athletes that come out, um, how we'll cover them. Um, I think we at the Times, and I would imagine it's it's similar from other papers and, and maybe broadcast media, we'll sort of take them as they come. Um, there's no great big picture in terms of covering this story, and I think every time we hear about an athlete that's coming out or maybe coming out, we're certainly interested in it, but it's all going to be sort of in the lens of news judgment. Um, who is the person? Is it male or female? What sport? Are they a big star? Not a big star? I mean, there's not that one big moment, and I think that's kind Can of... Can I add one thing to what you said about male or female? That's a really salient point, because after having taken four professional athletes out of the closet, the one thing you generally have to understand is taking a man out breaks a stereotype, taking a woman out reinforces a stereotype, and it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. No, I'd agree with that, and, and I think those are all sort of things that... You know, let's say there's a story tomorrow. Somebody's coming out. I think we'll sit around a table and say, "Who is it? How big a deal is this? Um, what's their story? 
and that's sort of a, a day-by-day discussion as opposed to some big plan. So we're kind of making it up as we go along. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Kate? Well, I think if, if you look at Abby Wambach recently getting married in Hawaii, I find that to be an interesting case because I think for for years Abby wasn't necessarily hiding who she was if you followed her on Twitter, but nobody actually, um, no media member actually asked her the question. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always something we come back to, like, within ESPN, is like, is that a question that you ask? Where are the lines there? Um, When you can see someone is living their life authentically, but nobody has actually said to them, are you gay? And is that a question that you're allowed to ask as a media member? I thought that was something when you wrote about Brittany Griner that you talked about. You said if her sexuality was such an open secret, why couldn't she talk about it openly with the pressure Mm -hmm. she experienced as an athlete? But also, what else was she going to have to do, right? To her, she felt like she was basically out in a lot of ways. So where does right now at ESPN, or for you even just individually, do you ask the question, and what is the question that you ask? Well, Brittany's such an interesting case because of her situation at Baylor. And I think when, with that statement that she wasn't allowed to live openly, I do think that would have been very different if she had been playing at Cal or if there was a school in you know, New York City that was, had that caliber of basketball program. So that was very specific to her situation, playing for Baylor, which has on its books a, a policy against homosexuality. So that that adds that wrinkle. As far, I mean, I would love to talk through here as far as asking the question. I think that's not something I feel comfortable asking a player who has made it clear it's something they're not ready for, but certainly conversations you have behind the scenes to figure out what the motivation would be, how open they would be to discussing it on the record. Conversations with the player. Right, behind the scene or with their representatives to be like, you know, if, if we did it in this way, because a lot of it is about framing, um, you don't want to make, I don't, I don't think at this point it's like the best framing is I'm gay, this is an I'm gay story. It, like, I, I do think unless we're talking about high, high, high profile, active athlete, I think we're past that storyline a little bit to like how does this impact a different part of the social landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you take, if you look at Abby Wambach right now, I don't think her huge story is I'm gay, but it's also how she's marketed herself along the way as a very authentic image of a female athlete, not the traditional sex sells role that we see. So there are different storylines within the I'm gay construct. Mm-hmm. And John, you've talked to a number of different like coaches and sort of other personnel who maybe aren't necessarily athletes. How do you want to talk through maybe one of those examples? How did those come up? Is that a story that you knew the person was gay and you went to them and said, do you want to talk about this? Did they come to you? Did it bubble up from other media? Usually somebody comes to us. And I think we saw, for example, in the Jason Collins um, story that he came or somebody that represented him came out, came to the media and said, we have a story if you're willing to tell it. Um, We have not reached a point where the media is actually finding these stories. And I think to Kate's point, I'm not sure the media knows exactly how to handle it. Um, you know, we're not running around locker rooms asking guys, are you gay, are you gay, are you gay? Um, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to say that the, that the mainstream media is not pursuing the story or is scared to ask people if they're gay. Because certainly we know that's a big story, and I think we'd all like to break it. Um, you know, we're very competitive that way. Um, so I think we, we would love to have those stories, but I think there's a little bit of tiptoeing about how do you find those stories? And so to date, I think all those stories have basically come to us as opposed to us finding them. 
So that tiptoeing is something I think Howard and I have collectively spent years of our life talking about, right? That and more in regard to entertainers. And do you think, Howard, do you think it's different in the way that sports media interact with athletes or versus how entertainment media maybe interact with celebrities or... I don't know. What's your take? You've, you've been on the other side of this where you were either I pitching think, it or coaching people through it. I think the entertainment media is, you know, will ask any question they want and any okay. question they can get away with. I think there's less parameters. The sports athletes um, probably don't know what to say after they ask the question. If, God forbid, they say yes. <laughs> then they go, now what the hell do I ask the guy? About once a month, and my friend Jim Bozinski over there from Outsports can confirm this. I, you know, about once a month, Jim, I'm sure, and I get a call from a TV producer, a documentary producer, who says, we want to follow an athlete who's coming out. Like, they take three years to plan this, and they want this documentary crew to do it. And it's just not the way it happens. Um, I've taken four professional athletes out. Everyone comes out at a different time for a different reason. I've taken about a... 15 celebrities out. Every situation is different. But I can tell you they don't spend two years planning this documentary that is going to come out, unless you're Shelley Wright, the country singer. <laughs> Shelley was uh, you know, by far the exception, and I will tell you about three months before, she's like, I'm screaming it from the rooftops. I'm going to kill myself. I want to come out. I want to date. I want to live my life. You know, she was so ready that it was a frustrating experience for her. Um, you know, people generally call John or call myself or call Jim when they're ready, you know, uh, call you and um, when they're ready and when they have their story to tell. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, I told Shane I would be honest today, okay, about everything I feel um, just because I can't help it. I taught here for six years and I think, if anything, you guys deserve What's my truth? It may not be anybody else's truth. Um, I like to work when I've taken athletes out. I love to work with the New York Times. There was a guy who used to work there named Bob Lipsight, who is an amazing award-winning, probably a Pulitzer Prize himself, but an astounding writer and author who has, you know, taken athletes out. I've worked with ESPN and ESPN the magazine, who, who's been good. And when Jason Collins came out, I was frankly... Very disappointed that he chose to do it in Sports Illustrated because their history is not very good with the gay and lesbian community. And there were other things about his coming out that I didn't love, but that was really left a craw in my throat. It's like they haven't earned this. They've treated us kind of like shit. And uh, I'll never forget when I worked with Sarah Tuolo, the NFL player, we were doing a show and... I think it was, uh, his last name's King, one of the football writers there. Uh, Peter. Peter. Peter King. Peter King, and he wrote on his blog, when a Sarah Tula, Tua Olo outed himself. It's like, you don't even know the correct words to say. And I, I mean, first of all, he was writing about something that happened backstage at a taping that I thought had no place in a blog. Secondly, it's like, you don't even know the words. And I was kind of really disappointed. I, you know, I, I much rather would have gone to the New York Times or ESPN and, you know, or a combination thereof, and which you can work out if you can finagle things smart. Um, I think where you come out, I think the medium is the message. It's hard to argue with a cover of Sports Illustrated, the most important sports magazine in the country. It's hard to say, ooh, they did a bad job or it was done wrong. But I also think we have to understand all this in a historical context. And certain people have earned certain things. 
It's, impo- it's important to have Howard here because I know we have a policy to be not to criticize other media. I don't know what the New York Times <laughs> policy is. <laughs> so, so Howard and I can, you can speak on that right. angle. Okay. Yeah. I am the media too, and I'm a, I'm an ABC contributor. So ESPN is a sister organization to you know ABC, where I get paid. But and I'm not just saying that. I you know I said that before. I put you know mm-hmm. a Sarah Tuolo. On ESPN, I, uh, John Amici's book was published by ESPN. When I talk about historically, those are the kind of things I was talking about. And I think we've certainly seen a shift from, you know, in my work at Out, from that being a place, from Out or the Advocate being a place that an athlete or an entertainer would come out in to that becoming a mainstream media role, right? Which I think prompted a lot of the same questions from a lot of people in the gay community. Like, why are we giving this story to this newspaper or to this television or to people instead of... You know, and I think that ship has obviously sailed, right? And so the question yes, is about the context and sort of how do we... When you take them out, I've always made it a point to talk to, if it was an African-American person, to the a black publication. If it was a woman, a woman's publication, and a gay publication in addition to the mainstream. You know, somebody has to, quote-unquote, break it first. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to be respectful. And, and most important when you come out, you have to understand... Why are they coming out at that moment? What is it they're trying to achieve? And I'll give you an example. Meredith Baxter, um, uh, I get a call. Howard, it's Meredith Baxter, who I'd never met. Oh, well, good to meet you. Um, I'm gay. I'm like, Mazel tov, you know? It's like, um, I was on a lesbian cruise with my girlfriend, and I'm about to be out in the tabloids, and I'm told you're the guy to help me. Well... We sat down and we immediately had a strategy meeting. And the strategy meeting was that she did want to come out. She didn't, wasn't really looking to be the poster girl for the LGBT community, but she wanted to own her truth. She wasn't ashamed of it. And I said, well, would you like to make some money? She's like, I love to make some money. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, how about a book? And she said, you think I could sell a book? I said, yeah, I think you can get a lot of money for your book. And so we came out, um, I think... We came out with Matt Lauer on the Today Show because she had had a long-standing relationship with NBC and her show. Um, we did a page in People magazine, but I did the page in People magazine with the promise that when her book came out, I would get a bigger story on that. And then we shut up. And then we shut up. Oh, we also went and did Frank DeCaro at uh, Sirius Radio because we wanted to do a gay one. And I, we may have done one more. But, you know, we kept it very small. And again, a contrast to Jason Collins, Jason Collins talked to everyone, mm-hmm. which is great. And then he went and tried to sell a book, and everybody's like, we've heard your story, Jason. And you've got to be cognizant up front of what your strategy is, or you're leaving something on the table a little. To be clear, Today's Show and People Magazine is very small. <laughs> you know what? Like Howard? Do you want to know the small is different than my story. Uh, today's Show will hit... Um, under 5 million people now as compared to Good Morning America, who's 5.5. Um, today's show hits, you know, roughly 5 million people. People Magazine with Pass Along is maybe 20 million people. Together you're talking maybe 25 million people. You have not hit 10% right, of the population it, at that point. Right, yeah. But it's out there, but... A four-minute interview on the Today Show is not the same as sitting down with Oprah for an hour with your family. Right, but, but as we're realizing now, whether it's an athlete or a celebrity, they could tweet it, and it's out there. Right. I mean, whether I mean, they go on Today's it, Show or just do their own tweet, within an hour, boom, it's 
everywhere. And is it possible, I think, for an athlete right now to have a small coming out, right? I don't know if there is such a Not thing, an actively right? playing professional right. athlete. But they get to decide how much they want to participate, too. Join 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Join 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Again, I think it depends on the sport, and it might depend on um, whether it's male or female. I think Abby may be one of the examples. Um, you know, for whatever reason, nobody's, like, sat back and said, let's do a story about her being gay. Um, how much do you feel... She's a woman? I don't know, but... I was going to say, like, how much you, I feel like we're still having... That question still comes up, right? It's like they're still not an out gay athlete because there hasn't been a man in one of the three major sports who was actively playing and a big star when he came out. Right, and is that the new threshold? Is that what we're waiting for? I sure would have loved to see Jason Collins play one day in a uniform I think we're on the court. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the buzzes that are going on my phone right now are somebody saying, guess what, the Nets just signed him or something. You know, um, I, 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 I hope and pray because I think what he did, he's a hero, he's made history, he's courageous. And I applaud him in every sense of the world. But it's not the same as walking out on that court. Let's talk a little bit about that question of, like, how much of yourself do you have to put out there as an athlete or as a reporter that you're looking for? Because you've got the example you said of, like, a tweet. Jason Collins, which, you know, did an as-told-to first-person kind of narrative, which was really different than, I think, how we've seen a lot of other big coming-out stories, right? What do... What would you... I don't know. What would you prefer? Or what would you think would be the best for how we talk about gay athletes or LGBT athletes more generally? Well, I'm all about the context and the story. Um, I think with Brittany, I I thought, I I feel like so often we just reduce the coming out process to a headline, which then reinforces a lot of stereotypes for athletes watching, say, Brittany and seeing, well, do I want to do that? Do I want to come out? And then seeing the headlines people put on Britney's somewhat coming out moment, even though she was already out. Um, I think it's really important as my my goal as I move forward trying to tell these stories is always having it be like tons of context Mm -hmm. and giving everybody a very clear eyed picture of who this person is. They're not they're not just the gay person, but you're like, here's this long profile of them and this is one small piece of who they are. Because if you provide all that context, I think you're going to see other athletes see that it can be done in like a high-level, smart way, and they don't just have to be at the top of the headline stack. Because I think a lot of athletes worry about that. And I had a question for Howard, because I know you said something really important like, 10 minutes ago about how, for female athletes, it's like reinforcing the stereotype. And I know you worked with Cheryl swoops which we should well, talk about we That's should talk about that um, yeah but i would love to hear like what female athletes say to you about how they want to manage their coming right. out because well, the they have to deal one, with that the first one was rosie jones who was uh, at the time a top 10 lpga golfer and you know there's always been a joke lpga stands for the lesbian professional golf association okay wow there's a lesbian golfer shocker you know mm-hmm. everybody would do it rosie um, was living her life. She was not in the closet. I think to a certain extent she was in the glass closet. Um, And Olivia Cruise Lines, which was my client, a lesbian cruise lines, hired her to be a spokesperson. So we said, how do we do it? And we did it in the New York Times. And Rosie is not very political. She's from the Midwest. She's, you know, very, very center of the road. She understood that 
by virtue of drawing this line in the sand, and it's when Bush got very homophobic during the campaign, um, that she really felt the need. And so we, we wrote an op-ed together. And, you know, it was, and it was told to Howard Bragman. And we wrote it for the New York Times. And it was um, sort of her tale that, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm this person. And by the way, I'm gay and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Now let's go play golf. You know, and she... What year was that? And, and how, what was the reaction? Uh, the reaction was really good because I think it was very authentic to her. And my favorite thing was when the LPGA came out the head of the LPGA and said, we're behind you a thousand percent. Whenever the organizing body for the sports does it, uh, she did it in a way that was authentic to her. And everybody's very, very different. When John Amici came out, he wrote a book. It was He was not playing anymore. Um, he had a book to sell. We hoard him out. We put him everywhere, <laughs> you know. But he had a strategic financial goal to do that. Aceratuolo wanted to live his truth. He had a boyfriend. He wanted to be able to hold hands in his hometown. So we did a slightly modified version. And then we get to Cheryl Swoops. Again, Cheryl... Uh, had a girlfriend and was coming out on behalf of Olivia Cruise Lines as a spokesperson. It was, um, I think the technical term is rat fuck. It was the biggest rat fuck <laughs> I have. I'm sorry. I was always a bad professor, I swore. I'm that sorry, Dean. you a good professor. I, um, I think that makes you a good one. Maybe they'll pay me more. But it was literally the day, you know, when I launched my invasion of Normandy. I have interviews scheduled every 15 minutes, and this one, and I got a satellite tour here, and I got this going on. And literally the morning we came out, she had not told her mother yet. And spent, you know, and I told her for two weeks before, you got to tell your mother. You know, you got to deal with this, and you got to, you know, get these things out of the way before, you know, she sees you on Good Morning America. It might be, you know, a good thing. And Cheryl and I both took heat. Cheryl said to me, you know, people are going to ask me if being lesbian is a choice. She said, I have to be honest. For me, it's a choice. What should I say? And I said, well, my community would prefer I say, no, it's not a choice. But I said, if coming out is about anything, it's about telling your truth. And I said, I think you have to speak your truth, which for you, it was a choice. She did. I took so much grief for her saying this. And guess what? Now she's married to a guy and dumped her girlfriend, so it was a choice. So, ha, ha. You know? <laughs> it's... It was very mm -hmm. interesting. That was a very challenging thing. And I don't forget, People Magazine came out. And we were at my house. We went to New York. We flew to L.A. We did media here. People Magazine came out. And they had bought a picture from a photo agency of Cheryl, her girlfriend, and her son. And we had this beautiful article in People. And, you know, she's in the back room crying. I'm like, what's wrong? They bought a picture of my son. I said, yes, that's a public picture. They bought it. You took your son to a public event. And I said, you know, I just said... You should really stop and, you know, it would be nice if, instead of whining about everything if you said thank you for once and try and express some gratitude and I walked away. Because <laughs> I'm that guy. You know, I get tired of it one sometimes. Of the, yeah, one of the questions that I know Adam raised yesterday when he was talking to Sid and Jim from Outsports and that I think as reporters or when you're writing about this comes up a lot, where is that line between who an athlete wants to tell or has to tell either before they actually come out or just to kind of like get through their life? Like, I think... 
it seems entirely possible that there are professional athletes who we don't know about as being publicly out who are out to their teams or their coaches or some of their teammates, right? So that line between where the gossip starts or like how the story gets out and wanting people to have their ducks in a row before, you know, if it's, if it's part of a process and an athlete might want to come out to their team and their coaches and their family and then think about how they're going to talk to a reporter about it. I don't know. Are we going to see that? Where does that gossip line kind of fit in? I feel like that's something that when I blog about pop culture every day, we covered a lot of those stories that weren't like story enough yet to get in the New York Times, right? But that were persistent enough to be something people were talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the um, the tiptoeing. If I, for example, this is a made up example, but if I were a beat writer for a baseball team. And I sort of just heard the grapevine that one of the guys was gay and some of his teammates kind of knew about it. Do I go write that story? Do I go talk to that guy and say, look, we're not going to out you unless you're ready and want to be outed. Do you want to talk, Do you want to talk about this? If he says no, suddenly you have like this thing that you know and how do you report this and is there a greater good here for your readers? And I think we're not quite sure what to do with it. Is that, that a conversation you've ever had with a player? No, no. Would you? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, as a reporter, yeah, I'd like to have that story, and I would, I mean, certainly up to them, but I would and, and do your best to persuade them that you would handle it, you know, as carefully and as um, um, as openly as they're willing to, to and do and it. And if they say, no, I don't want to talk about it, then what? Then there's not much you can do. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think that's a story. I don't think John's saying that's yeah. a story he would mm. write. No, no, no. 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 More do I think, right. The competitive juices in you are, are sort of you nagging, going, know. Right. I know this, and it's, it's the starting quarterback, and... But there's another there's another point to other. this, and that is most people think they're going to be the Aceratuolos and go, I want to live my truth and I want to come out. Well, having been around a couple weeks now, this is a shockingly transparent world we live in. I would venture to say virtually, is there anybody in this room who does not have a phone with a camera on it? Exactly. Um, right. You know, we live in a very different world. We live in a viral world, a transparent world. And if we all think that every athlete and every celebrity who comes out is going to be some beautiful, I want to live my truth and the heavens opened up and angels sing, that ain't going to be it. It's uh, There was an NFL player who I think was caught... Kind of. Suspected, suspected of, uh, you know, assaulting his partner allegedly, and then there was a denial. It's, you know, it's equally possible that it's going to be the Meredith Baxter role that you're going to be caught. So one of the things, let's talk about... And then it is a story for you, right? I mean, then that changes your journalistic Mm -hmm. issue. Even if they said, I don't want to talk about it. That's true. And I guess I'm sort of surprised at this point we haven't seen more of non-mainstream media, whether it's somebody busted. on, yeah, the yeah. busted, you know, the picture, <laughs> and whether it's, you know, Gawker or um, TMZ or somebody, somebody who I'd like to think maybe doesn't have quite the standards that we would have of what a story is, but basically throws it out there. Harvey's pretty good about else. gay stuff. As an openly gay man, Harvey at TMZ is actually pretty good about gay stuff yeah. and isn't, you know, real aggressive about, quote-unquote, outing people. That's not one of his I, pillars. I'm just surprised there haven't been more athletes that have been outed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The Cheap Seats for LGBTIQ spoken word events from Melbourne and the world every Thursday night at 10 p.m. on Joy 94.9. Cheap Seats. Here's so one of the things that I find really interesting about the Sochi coverage, right? So 
And I think, you know, like a year ago, I actually tried to pitch a story that was like, look, I feel like this is just trains that are going to collide, right? You have the human rights issues in Russia, specifically around gay stuff. You have the increasing vocal partnerships and presence of gay athletes in America, a lot of whom are going to go to the Winter Olympics, particularly in hockey. Like, where is this going to collide? And people, I have to be honest, like, weren't super into the story. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just wait. <laughs> but Another story. what's interesting about it is when you talk about having to ask, how do you raise that question? How do you start getting people to talk about it? I think what has been an interesting byproduct of that collision is how many athletes have been asked on the record how they feel about the subject, right? Like, instead of asking them, like, are you gay? Does this freak you out? What we're, what a lot of beat reporters seem to be asking athletes is, how do you feel about Russia's position on gay issues? Will this impact how you feel about the Olympics? Yeah, it's very kind of um, passive-aggressive or something. Where people are, you're right, people are asking, how do you feel about this, and not asking, are you gay? And I think the hope is that, hey, if we ask you, how do you feel about this, you're going to say, oh, well, as a gay person, and, oh, I had no idea. Should we write about that? Um, so <laughs> people are not asking the direct question there. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I mean, it's a legitimate question to ask anyway, right? I, I don't want to make it sound like that's just this kind of sideways not, question. I think it's absolutely. an important thing for us to discuss. Right. I think within the context of stories and so on, you know, again, I would not walk into a locker room and start just asking people. But if you're writing a story about somebody and... Even if he's really hot. <laughs> um, you're writing a story about somebody, and, and part of the context is their is their personal life and their family and that sort of thing. Certainly, um, if you're writing a story about your reaction toward the the Russian anti-gay laws, certainly, because mm -hmm. you need to have that context of where are you coming from to, to have this opinion. Well, I think the positive what you're saying, like the positive byproduct, right, of yeah. these issues in Russia, are that we're kind of taking everyone's temperature. Straight and gay and people yeah. alike about their viewpoint on LGBT issues. Yeah. And we're kind of, I think right now in sports, we have a, a there are certainly barriers to, with LGBT issues, and, but I think some of them are perceived. Where like, what, after what do you years think are the and biggest? years, well, I think some of them about like the branding issues and like the teammate reaction. I'm not saying all of them, but, but some of them, there's this built up fear about how people will react mm -hmm. rather than how people do react. Now, this is somebody who lives in Brooklyn here talking, so of course I'm going to have a different viewpoint than someone in South Carolina or in the South. Um, but I, th I think what you're seeing with Russia is we're taking a lot more of the temperatures of all athletes on these issues, and maybe some gay athletes are paying attention to the responses of their peers. They're taking peers. the temperature, too. Yes. They're right. like, well, how are we talking about this issue? How are we perceiving this within sports? How are everyone in, you know, Skiing? How are they talking about that? So I think it is, it, it's a terrible thing that's happening in Russia, but that byproduct I think is positive. We're getting a lot of players who go on the record saying, I would have no problem having a gay mm -hmm. teammate here, even right. in addition to talking about what would happen in the Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. John, I know you're going to go cover, have you been over to do previous stuff? Talk to us about, I don't know, what do you think as far as the coverage of this issue went from sort of like almost nothing or sort of like there was definitely kind of like gay and some sports blog coverage around whether this was going to be a conflict for anyone. And I think usually just in the largest, like, is Johnny Weir going to be able to skate? Like the kind of top line questions, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, right, um, you know, there's an op-ed in the New York Times and suddenly I think the power that an op-ed in the New York Times still carries meant that that became a national conversation really fast. And you had people really kind of fly to either side of like we should boycott or like we should definitely not boycott. And what what do you think is the story? What do you think is being missed 
in that kind of fear? What do you expect to happen? Yeah, I think from our perspective, we can't necessarily force a story. I mean, as much as we've written the editorial, that's the editorial side of the, of the operation. Um, helps kind of force the issue and, and gets it out there. I went back and looked last night to see how many times we have mentioned um, gay, Russia, Sochi into a, in a story. Okay. And it's been, I think, 21 times since July, including the op-ed, okay. um, including the recent news about a new IOC president and how he's going to um, potentially deal with this. Um, and now 22 today, because Julia McCurr wrote a story that ran today about Johnny Weir saying that he's going to be an announcer there, an announcer there, and he is openly gay and does not want to cause any ripples, so he's probably not going to say much about it. He has decided he's going to take a stand back. My first question is, are we going to take that at his word? Because I feel like Howard and I have <laughs> talked about this on the entertainment side, not because, and I don't mean this as any way to disparage him. I think a lot of people, particularly, and he, not that he's new to coming out, but a lot of people at different times during the process will say very boldly, like, I'm not an activist, I'm not going to talk about politics, or, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And then it doesn't really turn, it doesn't happen because they begin to live their life in this openly gay context and they get pissed off usually and they're like no actually I do want to talk about politics I would imagine a lot of people in this room and a lot of people who are gay and a lot of people who are in my business hope that he comes out and speaks out about it um, for a lot of reasons it's a great story but but that's you know I can also tell you he was hired because he's a good commentator and because he knows his sports and I don't think that's what he was hired for and if he wants to look beyond and transcend from a skating career to a broadcasting career, he's probably going to hurt himself. Right. Now, at the same time, do I expect Johnny Weir to wear a powder blue shirt and a navy blazer like Bob Costas? <laughs> probably not. But is it, is it Bob Costas's responsibility to talk about this on the it, air? It really depends what happens, okay. okay? The news is going to determine whether Bob Costas, if there's some sort of protest, Bob Costas is actually the perfect guy for NBC because he's a real journalist and he can balance that and do it organically. If nothing happens, I don't think it's their job. And but if any of you read The, the, like the media's point, right? I think, we, it, when we manufacture things, it, the people can sense it. In the same way you want athletes to be authentic and things to happen organically, the media needs to happen that way. Well, there's something going on with the Olympics, and that is NBC owns the Olympics, okay? Well, every other network wants to make this an issue for a couple reasons. Number one, they want to get in on Olympic coverage, which they don't have. Number two... Gay stuff is very viral. It gets a lot of click-throughs. It gets a lot of people watching. It gets a lot of controversy. We've seen it in TV shows. If you go back to Roseanne and Melrose Place when there were gay kisses, Ellen's, you know, huge, huge ratings and uh, online and and print media and you know TV news have learned. It's part of the story of our times. It's the civil rights movement of our times. And it is going to attract eyeballs. And while NBC is going to play it judiciously, I think the other networks are going to do what they can to do pre-stories and advance this story and make it an issue because it, it only helps them. I think it kind of depends on the, on the media. And, and where I was starting to go with that is, that, again, I think to Kate's point, we are going to follow the news as it comes. But we, our role, as with any news, is not to create the news, not try to manufacture the news. It's no, that's my job. That's your job. So if you do something where you but persuade somebody to think that's a good idea Russia's for me to come law. out on the eve of the What's Olympics, that? then we'll certainly cover that. But we're not going to be the ones trying to. Right, but Howard doesn't have to do anything for Russia's law to still be on the books. Right. Right. Isn't that in and of itself? Yeah, but a law on the books. There's lots of states in the U.S. that have laws on the books that have said we're not getting rid of our sodomy laws. The question is, how do they enforce this? You know, uh, 
are there protests? Are they arresting somebody for wearing a rainbow flag pin? That's the real question. Right. And I, I think, hope they're not that stupid. And I think with social again, we've written in the last whatever it is, eighty some days or something, twenty two mentions, twenty two stories that deal with that in at least a 22 paragraph. Twenty two stories or twenty two stories. Okay. Um, that have that thread through the story. I don't know how many times what's the right number is, but I think it has to have some sort of news hook to it. Um, you know, some of them are columnists who are going to write about it because it's an interesting topic. They want to be provocative. Mm-hmm. But for a sports writer like me, I'm going to go there, and if something happens, if somebody whispers in my ear, somebody tells me something, certainly I'm going to write about it. But my goal is not to go out and... The best thing I read that it resonated with me was Harvey Firestein's op-ed, and if you haven't seen it in the New York Times, you should. And he said, whatever you do, do not be silent about it. And I think that was absolutely the best advice. Well, John, were you in Salt Lake City for the pre-Olympic media? I was. Well, well, in all of the athletes you interviewed, what was the percentage of ones who were willing to speak, give some sort of opinion on how they felt about um, That felt like they hadn't just heard it from the USOC. <laughs> right, that um, like felt 1%, like Bodie like Miller. Miller. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, so are you saying you feel like a lot of athletes kind of know what the right thing to say is and they're going to say it? They have been coached, and, and the USOC has said we're not telling them what to say, but we they certainly have gone through some sort of Talking course. points. Talking points, yeah. exactly. They've had, they all have their talking points. And, that's good, though. I and, mean, that's... And I, and, yeah, and I think from their perspective, trying to put myself in their shoes, they have... Maybe this is their one chance of their lifetime to do this, um, and they are certainly focused on trying to win a gold medal or whatever their whatever their goal is. And maybe in the back of their mind, they they say, you know what? If I get on that medal stand, I will do this. But they're not going to talk about it now and become mm-hmm. a firestorm that takes them away from even being able to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So I think most of them are are just saying, look, um, yeah, I, I'm certainly against it. Um, I wish it was different, but but I'm here but, to but I'm, I'm here to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's hard and it's hard to argue. I mean, as a media member, you'd love for people to come out, and you want them to be provocative, and you want to keep pushing discussions. Um, and those of us who lived through when Jimmy Carter boycotted the Olympics in 80s? 80. I don't want them to boycott the Olympics. That's right. You know, these people have trained their entire lives for this moment. They may have one shot. It's not fair. And my point about, you know, I'm not sure what stories we'll write in Sochi. I'm sure we'll do, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this topic leading up into those games. But the first person who does something, whether it's the opening ceremony, it depends, again, what they do, that'll probably be an A1 story. I just don't know what it's going to be. And we're not going to manufacture something just to stick it on A1. It has to be somebody doing something. If it's meaningful. You're going to slap a rainbow flag on somebody's ass. I know you <laughs> You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Kate, what are you thinking? Are you going to write about Sochi from here? Are you covering it? Um, What's your take? We have a a contingent. I was talking to John about this earlier. We have an Olympic contingent at ESPN that have have covered the Olympics for many of them, women like Bonnie Ford and Jim Capel, who do a great job. So I'm not going. Um, I have yet to weigh in on the issue. And I actually, I certainly am am riveted in what's going to happen in Russia in the Winter Olympics, but I also, covering basketball more, am also interested in how Russia being a hotbed for women's hoops, this, to me, this story doesn't go away in three months. Right. I mean, you, like, that's where the top ten female basketball players play their winter ball, and some of them who go there have already come out. Simone Augustus married her partner. She plays in Russia. So to me, I'm certainly interested. And have they talked about... 
of the Olympics? Have they been asked for comment about it? No, they just they they're going to go back and play in Russia. Yeah. To, so to me, like I I often live in the world of basketball a lot, so I'm I want to do something on the Olympics for sure. I'm not sure what that angle is because again, I don't want to manufacture the news, but also to point out to everyone here that the issue doesn't go away once those Winter Olympics end. And I was going to say, to sort of second Howard's point, too, is as much as the Sochi issue has, has grabbed attention, I've heard from athletes saying, maybe we need to look in our own backyard, too. Certainly plenty of states. And well, I was I just going to say, I don't, I don't know, know exactly the Atlanta what... Braves just had a, was it the Atlanta Braves who just had a gay night? And I read about no, 300. It was, oh, it was the Dodgers. No, one. but no, a, a team down team. south had a. It was the Tampa Bay. Atlanta Braves. Uh, Promoted the wear purple for Pride Day on their Facebook page, and they got a whole bunch of. And they got these unbelievable tweets. And this is Atlanta, you know, for the South is as sophisticated as you go with legal protections and stuff. So yes, I think exactly. Unbelievably homophobic. Homophobic, (laughs) You know, just horrible. You know, horrible. What we want to beat up those little homos. You know, it's like my point being that there's been a lot of attention on Sochi, what I think might be actually a little bit of a distraction, a little bit of a distraction (laughs) for the broader cause. So, what do you think are the biggest kind of undercovered stories in American sports today? Um, Is it about one of the things I was struck by in your interview with Brittany Griner is mm-hmm. when she talks about how she went online when she was like in middle school, right? And that mm-hmm. these athletes know that they are gay from mm-hmm. a really early age. And this week, the You Can Play Partner Project announced a partnership with Colorado um, schools, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. That instead of, are we, are we focusing too much on adults? Like, are we not moving this conversation kind of earlier in time and in an athlete's life enough to think about how that's going to impact them? Well, I think uh, those are all smart points. Uh, to me, the the story that we don't talk about is the amount of fear and oppression within women's sports. Um, talk about I think, that a little bit more. Like, I think people get this sense that because everybody thinks female athletes are gay, that, like, they, within the women's sports world, they live freely and openly. And, I mean, women's college basketball, women's pro sports, that is some of the most oppressive environments you'll find. People struggling so, so hard against, like, this stereotype, it being used against them. I mean, you look at women's college basketball, and I I wrote a story on this. There's one openly gay female Division I basketball coach, and she came out in 2007. Six years, it's 2013 now, six years, and the second one hasn't come out yet Mm -hmm. because of all of the negative recruiting. So I just, I think the perception of that it's easy for female athletes, um, that's just, it's so wrong. The perception that it's easy for anyone is wrong, okay? But to me, like, the, the college environment for female athletes is frighteningly scary for some of these athletes and these coaches, what they go through. I know we always, like, the lens, the spotlight is always on men's sports more than women to begin with, but I think that's something people, we need to do, we need to get rid of that fear and oppression. Mm-hmm. So, that's my take. John? I can't top that one, so I won't try, but I, I, I um, I think it's a great point. Now you make me want to go home and start working on that story. Um, you know, I think there has been probably, and I'm guilty of it too, a an over... Um, an overreach to try to find who's that next male, uh, famous team sport athlete. You know, we put all these, like, uh, qualifiers on it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, Jason Collins, yeah, but, you know, he's, does, he's not even playing now, and, you know, he's only second string. Can we get a quarterback? I mean, we're all looking for that next big one. And, I mean, the, the real story, and it's not nearly as sexy, is that there is hopefully a generation of kids growing up that will just be themselves more from the get-go and will sort of rise up through the, the athletic ranks. I mean, that's been the hope, But right? sports so, is behind. But sports, yeah. no, no what's sad is, and I think you asked the story, when I took Kevin McClatchy out, who was the former owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, as he said, what's the saddest part is with Jackie Robinson sports was ahead of the curve. With the LGBT issue, we are so behind the curve, and we should be ashamed. I was I'm, I'm really concerned when people say this all the time. They're like, well, as, as this generation gets older and enters sports... It will change that culture, but what I've found specifically in women's sports is that they get changed by the culture, mm-hmm. and I think we need yeah. to worry about that because it's like, oh, let's get the younger kids are going to come up and they're going to change those. But so then where they, does that change have to happen? Is that about coaches? Is that about owners? Is that about leagues? Like who has, has to, to change, change it to it? the youngest levels? I mean, we saw that college coach who was berating his people and using slurs. We have to change in. Elementary school, high, junior high school, high school. We have Who to has to change? Like the coaches at those levels? The coaches, the kids, the organizations the like Colorado High School. I would argue else we need to look at the top, too. Because yeah. um, I know a lot of the fear comes from who's doing the hiring. Absolutely. Who's got the money, who's giving the money. And right now... Hiring the coaches, you mean. Hiring coaches, who's giving away the money to donors. brand marketing, marketing deals. deals. Yeah, donors. I mean, there's a lot of... At the top, it's still straight white men. And I think that's a conversation that is had within the women's sports and probably the men's sports community that the people above them aren't going to be okay with who they are and how they act. And I think that's part of what my big point about there's not going to be that one big seminal moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there wasn't in, in um, other civil rights issues either. But And we just sort of portray it that way now. In, in, in hindsight, books. yeah. yeah. Um, but I think there'll have to be sort of... Um, coming up from the bottom just sort of normalize it for lack of a better word as opposed to having one big moment where we say oh it's all better now would you say that within locker rooms like actual players are as kind of at the same place as everyone else in american society right now where it's really probably not that big of a deal even if the kind of framework sport by sport i've seen the research um i think uh, and jim you probably know the research better than i do but i think uh, the more educated the player the more sensitive they are. Baseball is one of the worst. Say, baseball seems to often universally be regarded as sort of the worst sport to be gay in. Do you think I, 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 I When I worked with the NBA <laughs> on different things, I found the NBA to be very progressive from the top down. And, you know, David Stern's a guy who lives in New York. And, you know, and I had a discussion with him because I represented two NBA owners and worked with John when he came out. And, and you know, the NFL sort of wants to do the right thing, but they're not as sophisticated. I think hockey is pretty good, and it's more international, so you can get away with a little more. Boy, baseball's just in the dark ages. Do you agree with that? I would probably rank them that same way. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've talked about, um, I've talked with Jim and, and several other people about, you know, which will be the first of those big sports. Um, you know, it's like throwing darts at a wall. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're talking... I don't know, 5,000 professional athletes in those four leagues or something. Who knows who's going to be the first? But that goes to tell you how I can't believe it hasn't happened yet, if there are 5,000. Right. I think, I think right, we look at it like, oh, well, 
because NBA is most progressive in our eyes, that's where the player will come from the NBA. But, but I think it's team by, to me, the culture is team by team. Yes. And so it's like the, the person who comes out is only going to be thinking about my teammates that I know, my mm-hmm. family. And they're not like, well, I'm part of the NBA. They're going to be like, right, how I is... I play for this team in this city, yes. and, and, and like, it would be cool here. You know, like, I covered the Sixers, and it was like, the culture was Allen Iverson, and that's how that team acted. And then Elton Brand came, and, you know, he had a much more progressive philosophy, was had different viewpoints about everything, and that shifted the culture of the mm. team. So I think it's not really league by league, it's team by team. I mean, that's and what I... And city by city, because, yeah. you know, I mean... It, and that, yeah, the culture of the city impacts the culture of the team as well. For listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.